Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Hello and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We are presenting a message uh, that is engaging and transforming, and we are here to help you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Several ways you can do that. We are on all social media. Twitter at Zero Radio is the show handle. At Dr. at Lorenzo T. Neal is my personal handle. Also on Facebook, Zero Network. And um, uh, email, if you'd like to send an email to the show, there's a new email. It's info.zme at gmail.com. That's info.zme at gmail.com. We thank you for all that you've been able to do. We've been uh, traveling quite a bit, so we haven't been able to record as we would like, but um, we, we're, we're glad. We're glad we've been able to do it. It's October. It is October, and I'm excited. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm excited it's October, but um, it is uh, so much going on this month. Uh, it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. It is Domestic Violence uh prevention and awareness month it is uh survivors uh of gun violence survivor sunday we will have we'll be observing here uh, it's it's just a it's a packed field uh, uh month so there's always something you can do if you um if you've been affected by domestic violence or you know someone who has been affected by domestic violence we invite you to reach out and get those persons help. Call the domestic violence hotline. Get them um, in, in in safety wherever they may be. Also, uh, volunteer of your time at the shelters where there are men and women and children who are um, victims of abuse, domestic violence. And uh, uh, if you're a pastor of a church or you serve at the church, uh, get your church engaged and involved. There, there are plenty of things you can do to prevent this from continuing. Also, with breast cancer awareness, of course, there'll be a lot of races, fun walks, and all kinds of things, 5K walk, 3K walk, whatever it may be, um, 
to help um, those persons being affected by breast cancer. Uh, I have been affected. I had a, an aunt to pass away from breast cancer. I have had several members that I've served and ministered to who have passed away or who currently have uh, breast cancer, both men and women. So I'm, I'm very passionate about both of those. And um, I believe we can be advocates for change and we can do all we can uh, in addition to just giving money to these organizations like Susan Coleman and things like that. Um, the best thing you could do is be present. If you know somebody who is affected by it, their family has been affected by uh, this this dangerous uh, disease, be present. Do what you can to be support, offer support. And again, there's always you can do it. There's plenty you can do in this time and uh, this month. And also, Clergy Appreciation Month. Now, <laughs> October is has been recognized as Clergy Appreciation Month. And uh, some would say Pastors Appreciation Month, but uh, Clergy Appreciation Month altogether, that includes those who function in various ministry capacities, you know, as directors of Christian education, who may be ministers of the gospel without being ordained to the gospel ministry, uh, those who serve in chaplaincy, uh, uh, I, I served in that capacity for a number of years as a hospital chaplain, and I tell you, uh, the chaplaincy is underappreciated in, in, our, in what uh, chaplains do, uh, prison chaplains, hospital chaplains, um, uh, military chaplains, um, police and um, uh, first responder chaplains, and even those who work in the corporate environments, you, you'd be surprised how many uh, corporations have chaplains on site. And then those who work in the legislature, um, the Senate chaplains, uh, you know, the, the legislative chaplains for the federal and um, and the state and, and local, even though some may um, just volunteer, others are, are, you know, are employed. But either way, Take time to recognize those clergy persons this month. Um, you don't have to do anything good, <laughs> big, but you know, let them know that they are appreciated no matter what their role. I know um, pastors receive much of the attention, both positive and negative, when it comes to service and appreciation or underappreciation. But uh, ministry is more than just preaching on a Sunday morning. Ministry is more than just serving in a pastoral leadership position. Ministry is service. As Christ himself said, uh, the greatest among you will be the servant. And um, so recognize those persons who are serving in uh, ministry. And when we specifically mean clergy, we are talking about those who are in ordained ministry. Particularly, but as I said earlier, there are plenty of persons working in ministry who are not in ordained ministry. Uh, so recognize those persons also. They do the work of the church, and we are grateful that they do the work of the church. So show appreciation to clergy, especially those who are associate ministers. <laughs> I didn't spend much time as an associate minister in uh, my early ministries. Uh, it was only a couple of years that I served under um, pastors who um, 
who trained me very well. You know, uh, from the age of 12, my my father in the ministry trained me very well. I learned the ins and outs of what it's like to be in ministry from the usher to the preacher, you know, preaching on a Sunday morning. And I was very grateful to have learned that. Um, and my father in ministry, actually, uh, he enrolled me in Bible college while I was still in my senior year in high school. And I was looking over my transcript from Bible college, and I had a C in homiletics in the fall semester. And I was like, how did I get a C? And I was in Eng- honors English and all this stuff. And then I thought about, oh, yeah, of course I, I got a C. I was in high school. I was in marching band. I was in symphony. I was in Boy Scouts. I was in top teams of America. I was in just about everything that you can think about and going to Bible college at night, <laughs> leaving band practice. I was in marching band too, leaving band practice on Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays nights to go to uh, to to class. And I'm, I'm a 16, 17 year old kid in class with all these adults, and I'm learning how to put together sermons. I'm learning Greek and Hebrew and all of this stuff. And I'm like, oh my God! But the, he saw he saw enough in me to invest that in me. And um, when I when I went and went to college, um, I was under some great uh, pastoral leadership um, from uh, all my college years. Even though I was pastoring while in college also, I still had some great leadership. So I want to commend those who are associates. You know, don't be trying to grab the pulpit or anything like that. <laughs> I'm on a little I, – I got off topic, but y'all, y'all – it's clergy appreciation month. So uh show appreciation to all clergy and not just your pastor. Now that I got that <laughs> now that I have gotten that out of the way, um, let's move into some of the things I want to talk about today. I, I want to touch on Kanye West's um uh Sunday service that was at an AME church last Last week, it was at a Baptist church headed by a former AME. This week, it was at an AME church. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I'm kind of boasting on that, that uh, he, the first place that these people, the first, uh, not the first, but the major uh, churches that's being expl- experienced, uh, Kanye's services being experienced, just happened to be uh, <laughs> African Methodists. <laughs> <laughs> or African Methodist influenced, let me put it that way. So, uh, uh, but uh, it made it news again, and um, you can find an article both at the Old Black Church where Ms. Ann Brock uh, serves as the moderator for that site, as well as the the um, the actual article. Um, I'm reading from Kanye West's pseudo-religious Sunday service sparks walkout in New York City, and that is from uh, thedailybeast.com. Um, and um, so I read through this article, and <laughs> I really don't know what to make of it. Um, it, it the way it's written, it's as if some uh, more traditional uh, members of the Greater Allen Cathedral AME Church in Jamaica, Queens, New York, uh, walked out of service in protest of Kanye being there. But uh, it's hard to it, it, it implies that these people were frustrated, and I'm not sure if that's the case or not. But 
you can read the article for yourself. I try to post a link um, in the um, in the description of the show so you can go read the article yourself. Um, but again, uh, you can also go to the Old Black Church um, and you can see the site. Uh, you can see the article there and read it. Either way, um, the whole idea of this Sunday service, and I talked about it on my YouTube channel. I've talked about it on this uh, on this broadcast on a number of occasions, um, and um, <laughs> the the controversy surrounding this whole thing with Kanye West is people are trying to discern if it's real or not, and. Um, uh, as I stated before, with Kanye, you just don't know. Somewhat, he's somewhat of a chameleon when it comes to um, what he does. You know, he's a he's a, uh, and I've said it before. He's a genius when it comes to um, um, masking his intentions. You don't know what his intentions are. You just know what the product is, and you in turn respond to. What he's offering. This is a product that he's offering, and he has uh, he has millions of people buying into the product. Whether he sells another album, and again, he really he was supposed to release this album uh, last week titled "Jesus Is King," and of course, uh, just like the previous year when he was supposed to release another album, and it was it was delayed. It it you know it has been delayed and. Um, people are questioning whether he is doing this for publicity. Is this a publicity stunt? And mind you, the church is, and the black church in particular, is a great place for publicity stunts. Um, most of the great deceit that has happened in church came by way of the black church. And I'm not talking about, um, the, I'm talking about scams. When persons, white people scamming black folk. Because we buy into this, the myth and the mysticism of of religion, we buy into it, and 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 um, we really don't question. We've been trained not to question God. Don't question God. Just if it's, if it's God, let it be. And of course, there's some scriptural support for that. But at the same time, you know that's why we've been deceived so much. We default to truth. Uh, that's the uh, that that's the technical term. We default to truth. We believe, or at least we want to believe, that people are telling the truth, are behaving in truth, uh, and, and everything that's associated with that. We want to believe in the authenticity, authenticity and sincerity of people when it comes to church. But we have seen time and time again, over and over again, that it is very easy to manipulate church folk. <laughs> <laughs> I've been manipulated, and I'm a pastor, and I've been manipulated by other church folk, by other preachers, by other scams. And, and I was just reading about um, um, a scam. Uh, a young preacher launched a church in Memphis and was saying that uh, it was a church plant of a, a larger church. He was trying to build on the credibility of the larger church and, and was hiring folk. <laughs> 
and, and saying that, uh, you know, we just started, but we got a one point something million dollar budget and he hired a security guy <laughs> that was going to be paying him over a hundred thousand dollars a year. And this other associate minister that uh, he hired, he was going to be paying her, but he said nobody's going to be getting paid for, you know, till uh, later October or something like that. And I, I say all of that and say that while we can question the authenticity and sincerity of Kanye's uh, Sunday service, we, we we should question it. There's, there's nothing wrong with questioning it. Uh, we just have to be uh, on guard. We must be uh, ourselves in good and right relationship with God. You know, you can do that outside of Sunday service. You know, there are a lot of nuns, and when I mean nuns, N-O-N-E-S, those are persons who are no longer uh, connected to a religious organization, institute, the instituted institutional church or anything like that. They're no longer connected to it. So they they have, uh, you know, it's no big deal. And that's why they can go to an event like this. And when you when I read through the article on the Daily Beast, it says that the service was a typical AME service. Uh, and I don't know if they... <laughs> What they mean by that, because I'm quite sure they have really not been to a typical AME service, <laughs> but they did say a typical black church worship experience. And I probably, you know, with the gospel music and they talked about even how the preacher was, um, they said, handpicked, you know, to uh, because there's a celebrity and whatever. But anyway, it, it seemed to be two separate services, not congruent with each other as it was at new birth with uh dr bryant where it seemed to be uh concurrent with their worship their regular worship experience um it this experience at um uh, allen seemed to be uh separate in that once they concluded the regular worship experience uh at that church um uh, there was some delay, and then eventually Kim Kardashian West and Kanye West and uh, all the celebrities, the VIPs, came in, had their seats, and then the, the music director for uh, West Sunday Service called the choir forward. They sang, and and by all accounts, it was wonderful, wonderful music. Um, Kanye uh, accompanied them both in singing and on instrument, and by all accounts, it was it was a wonderful thing. But people still walked out, largely from the perspective of those who were there, because um, they still wrestled with the idea of Kanye West <laughs> having a service in their church. <laughs> and again, perhaps I don't I don't. I do not know how he advertises this, and it still seems to be somewhat of an exclusive event, invite-only. Perhaps it's invite-only for the uh, celebrities who uh, come and participate. And they talked about in the article, um, they talked about uh, the preacher, that or uh, the person who, who uh, gave words at this particular event. Last week, Kanye himself spoke in addition to having someone else speak, but he he uh, he spoke. In, uh, I I don't know how to describe what he did, but <laughs> he spoke. <laughs> but this minister 
who was brought in apparently from uh, California, Los Angeles, and whatever, um, um, didn't pretty sit well with those who were there. One, because he was Caucasian. The other uh, is that he he didn't really preach. But then again, the service has never went really been about preaching. Either way, either way, um, it's going on. It's, it's it's spreading. Whatever Kanye is doing, Kanye is doing, and um, more power to him. Um, I, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about Kanye on my YouTube channel again. And um, for those who are who are listening, um, we do have the YouTube channel Zero Today. Uh, so go and subscribe there and. Um, we're 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 growing. We're actually growing. So if you're listening to this broadcast, go subscribe to the channel and hit the bell for notifications. That's style little plug there. Um, the next thing I want to talk about that I think everyone has been is really really talking about is a verdict that happened recently on uh, yesterday regarding. Um, uh, Geiger, um, um, hold on, ex-Dallas police officer Amber Geiger, um, who a year ago um, shot and killed um, Botham Jean in his apartment, and she used the defense that um, she was afraid and she walked into the wrong apartment. She saw him there and opened fire. It killed him. And at first, many thought that she was going to get off, you know, for self-defense and all of that. Um, she was fired by the Dallas Police Department. And her defense has always been that she was overworked and she was tired and um, felt threatened. And even in her testimony, she said that she felt threatened. And there's a picture going around. I did not put this on on, on the uh, the picture for the show today, but there's a picture going around of her testifying and with this uh, the facial expression of uh, a sadness and crying, but there are no tears. And NPR wrote uh, in an interview, not wrote, but in the interview that they they uh, I, I believe they aired either Monday, yeah, Monday that. Um, that she expressed remorse for the event. And I'm quite sure she is remorseful uh, for the death. But, uh, you know, it's, it's still questionable. There have been a lot of underlying rumors about the relationship between she and uh, – or, or a possible relationship between she and Botham Jean that she um, somehow had access to his apartment. But I don't know about that. Um, so, uh, so she she was found guilty by the jury, and um, there's a sentencing phase that will come will happen soon. Uh, I have no no word on when that will happen, but I I think what is real real reassuring is that um, for once in the last several years we've been seeing police officers who have committed aggravated crimes against unarmed people of color 
and we can go through the names and you know, we can call the role in the pantheon of uh, persons who have been um, unarmed and killed by at the hands of police officers. But but it seems that for the longest period of time, we were not seeing justice. I, I think in particular of two with uh, uh, Castile in um, – uh, where was that? It was that in Milwaukee. Uh, uh, you guys know the story of Castile. He was pulled over. He was very gentle, polite, calm, and uh, responding in kind to the request of a police officer. Informed the officer that he had a weapon and he had the means. You know, he had the, the um, credentials to to carry that. And as he was reaching for either his license or whatever, the officer engaged. Not by in being kind, but in, in gunshots, killing him with his girlfriend and child in the back, in the back seat of the car. And that was streamed live. And that officer still was acquitted. Or Eric Garner, in the case where um, the uh, officer uh, put him in the chokehold. And again, this was streamed. The video was very evident. It was very clear that the officer did something that was illegal and cost the life of Eric Garner. And again, the officer was acquitted. And he has, that officer has since been fired uh, from uh, the New York Police Department. But we can go on and on of cases where this has happened. And so there's a sense of relief to see that this officer, maybe there's some bias because he's female. We don't know. All the rest of our officers were male. Maybe there's some bias. Uh, you know, I, I can't say. Maybe perhaps bias is not the best word. But there's just a sense of relief that there can be justice in this case where there's an unarmed black man who was killed at the hands of an officer who was sworn to protect and serve, and um, so there's there's that there's that relief. But you know, we still have a long way to go in this justice system uh, in America. We do have a long way to go. While while I'm on this, um, for those who were not aware, this week, uh, particularly September the 30th, marked the 100th anniversary of the. Race massacre in Elaine, Arkansas. Um, I've been to Elaine, Arkansas, plenty of times when I was pastoring there. Had schoolmates from college there, and it took me a long time to grapple with the idea that hundreds of persons died or were wounded because of racism. And many of those persons' descendants are still alive and are still traumatized from an event. And although there has been evidence of uh, a growing diversity in that area, in Elaine, Arkansas, and all across the south, the Delta and uh, Delta areas of uh, South Arkansas, Memphis, um, well, Tennessee, uh, North Mississippi, and Northeast Louisiana, and all this area, uh, or the Deep South, let's just put it that way, the Deep South. There's still remnants and pockets 
of that racism. And and um, while I don't believe it is overt as it was during that time, I believe it's still it's still there. You know, more microaggressive than than and than anything else, but it's still very much present. And um, I have been engaged in racial reconciliation on a number of levels, and um, I I don't fault those white people's ancestors or the white people today. I do fault their ancestors. I don't fault them for what they believe because they were conditioned and taught to believe what they believe, however that came about. But I do know that in this in this day and time now, there is no place for it. And while there are some who will state that uh, our current um, president is incite, inciting some of this uh, resurgence of what we see as racism, what we will call racism, um, I, I don't want to shift all that blame to him. Uh, it's always been, again, it has not been as overt as it once was, but it's always been latent. It's always been there, um, <laughs> and 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 I've I've been affected by it. I've 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 you know both in the microaggression and in an overt discrimination. I I have been a victim of it. I don't I don't cry about it. You know I'm like I'm no I'm better than that. But but uh, we still need to. Uh, there's still a long way to go, a lot we can do to better engage each other as human beings and those of us who are Christians as Christians, not looking at our race and not looking at uh, anything else, but looking at each other through the eyes of Christ. Anyway, I'm going to take a quick break, and when I come back, we're going to talk about uh, Pastor Robert Jeffers and <laughs> – Oh, boy. And this whole impeachment fiasco. And um, I, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back. I thought it was just the stress of moving. Hey, I was using that. Think we own stock in the electric company? I will turn this car around right now. There's nobody back there. I was becoming my father. <clears throat> it's been an adjustment, but we're making it work. You know, Progressive.com makes it easy for us to get the right home insurance. Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto. So if you're not aware, I am a very, very curious person. I'm always trying to learn new things. And um, so I recently learned about Skillshare, and 
it's opened up so many doors for me on learning how to be a better creative person. I've learned, I've taken classes on uh, creative writing, on my podcasting, on my YouTube videos, all of that. It has come in handy. And I would strongly recommend you, if you are trying to improve on any skill that you have and you want to go from being a hobby to uh, make it a pro, <laughs> I, I, I want to invite you to go to Skillshare.com. Uh, Skillshare.com is where you can go to learn all kinds of things. They have workshops on everything that you can imagine, photography, videography, uh, writing, anything that you can think of. You can find it on Skillshare. So, and I'm telling you, you're gonna you're gonna really love it. It's it's worth every single moment, every single class, and you'll you'll love it. You'll greatly greatly enjoy it. Go check it out. Skillshare.com/slash Zero Today Radio. Hey, did you know I just launched a new podcast? It's titled "Be Your Differentiated Self" with me, Dr. Lorenzo Neal. Um, I talk about issues and topics through the lens of differentiation of self. That's what I did my doctoral research on and um, how it affects all of our lives, the entirety of ourselves, interpersonal, uh, societal processing, our economics, our, our politics, everything, and, and even our re- religious <laughs> aspect. Uh, so I, I just wanted to share that with you. Get a chance to go to anchor.fm slash Dr. Lorenzo Neal. And listen to the intro. Make sure you leave, uh, leave your a voice message so that I can share what you said on air. And always appreciate your support. Again, that's be your differentiated be your differentiated self podcast with me, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, on Anchor and Spotify. Thanks, God, so much. that you are tuning in with us. We appreciate it. Again, we want to invite you to uh, uh, go check out the new podcast that we're launching, Be Your Differentiated Self, on anchor.fm. I appreciate it so much. Also, I didn't tell you, but um, we do have, I did tell you, we have a YouTube channel. Go to the YouTube channel, Zero Today, on YouTube. Subscribe to that channel. Uh, we'll be uploading videos regularly. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about different things on there and on the podcast it's more specific, but here on this show, we're all over the place. <laughs> That's what I love about doing this show. I can talk about anything on this show, but the other two are a little bit more specific and a little more, more casual. Uh, well, the YouTube video is, you know, we're playing around with that. So anyway, we appreciate your support. Also, you can support this channel, support this station, support me uh, by going to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal. Become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. You can support me and, uh, you know, whatever you give, we're going to be creating tiers for supporters and giving you things to support shout outs on on live. You know, whatever I do, <laughs> you'll be recognized. Though, is what I'm saying. So I, I really appreciate all that you do. Also, you know, this PayPal component, PayPal 
me slash Lorenzo Neal. Um, you can support me, and, and I appreciate all the support that you have done, that you are doing, and that you will be doing just to uh, help what I am doing. So appreciate it so much. So let's get into the topic of the day. The, the main topic I really want to talk about, uh, Pastor Robert Jeffers. If you're not familiar with Pastor Jeffers, Pastor Jeffers is the pastor of First Baptist Church there in Dallas, Texas. It is a mega church. He's also the host of um, uh, what is the Victorious Living or something like that. Um, anyway, it uh, Pastor Jeffers, I, I I have met him once, and uh, I can tell you he's a wonderfully he is a bit charismatic. He 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 is that. Uh, uh, but here's the thing: he has been a staunch Trump supporter. Uh, before he got elected, he endorsed him, and um, since he has been his one of his most prominent in uh, defenders, uh, aside from Rudy Giuliani and aside from Paula White, uh, most persons that you will see, particularly uh, on Fox News or in most news outlets defending President Trump, would be Pastor Jeffers, and uh, again. He has, he is a very influential person in uh, evangelical Christianity in the states, um, and it was very, very influential. And um, so, so he, I'm, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what Trump does that I, I considered immoral, and I've stated this, stated this publicly. I, I do admire that President Donald Trump has been doing something good with the economy, been doing something good. Well, he, he, I give him credit for what's happening with the economy, what's happening with um, unemployment, particularly uh, in the black community. I applaud what he's doing in criminal justice reform. I applaud what he's doing with HBCUs and getting us, uh, getting them funding and all the stuff that they were not denied access to, but they had limited access to. And he's really been going out of his way for minorities, uh, both Hispanic uh, and African-American. So I, I have to applaud him for that. But I'm going to be honest with you. I can't stand his character. <laughs> I can't stand his character. I, he has an immoral character. And I've talked about this before when it came to the idea of the moral absolute, you know, moral absolutes and all of that that is a uh, – comes along with that. I can't recall it right now. <laughs> but I, I did a segment on it, so you can go back and check it uh, check it out. Um, but, you know, I, I would really say that he's immoral uh, when it comes to uh, personal behavior and character. <laughs> so, now, uh, I did not vote for Obama, and it, I had no problem with Obama. I believe he was an upstanding uh, person. I don't believe he was immoral in, in any in the way that Trump is, I, 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 I could not agree with some of his policies and his, uh, uh, his views, <laughs> uh, politically. But I knew one thing that separates uh, President Trump from President Obama. President Obama at least had the, the empathy, like Bill Clinton. He had that empathy, or he was able to display it, sympathy and empathy. He was able to display it to the American public, and um, she had. A moral character where because of his color, because of him being biracial, because of him being the 
uh, part of the underrepresented group in America, uh, he had to do more. He had to live better. There was, I mean, they were talking about him for wearing a, a tan suit at one time that said that was unpresidential. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. You know, I respected him. Uh, I had a great deal of respect, even though I did not agree with a lot of what he was what he was promoting policy wise. And we, you know, we now live in the effect of some of that policy. But when it came down to character, so just from observation, uh, he he was very upstanding. And President Trump is not. And and um, as a as a uh, center right person of color and a pastor. You know, who encourages people to vote their values, their principles, and all of that, to see people of faith stand behind a man who is unprincipled, as President Trump is, you know, it's kind of scary. It's it's, uh, it's scary because, you know, how can we stay uh, or preach a gospel that is supposed to be liberating, that's supposed to be empowering people to change, to repent, to be better humans? To better serve this present age, our calling to fulfill, uh, how can we do that and endorse the behavior uh, of, of an, individual, an individual like uh, President Trump? And again, while I agree with some of the things that are happening under his administration, um, I cannot in good, in good conscience – I cannot in good conscience endorse uh, – <laughs> The pettiness of his life, <laughs> but Pastor Jeffers has, and he has gone along with uh, Jerry Falwell Jr., who is the president of Liberty University. They have gone out of their way to defend everything the president does. Uh, well, most things the president does, uh, uh, they did not counter uh, when uh, he was not willing to speak out against the uh, racist and the um, the racist and overt. Uh, white nationalists and white, uh, possibly even some white supremacists in Charlottesville. Um, they did not um, counter him when he uh, introduced policy that was already in effect, uh, but he heightened the policy of, of separation of families uh, under uh, Jeff Sessions. And uh, again, that was already in effect. It was just heightened. It was uh, uh, Enforced more strictly uh, under this administration, and Pastor Jeffers offered scripture to support that policy. Instead of instead of saying, "Okay, the policy was already in effect, and he's just being uh, he's implementing stricter enforcement of it," that would have been acceptable. But to imply scripture and uh, and such. Is, that was unacceptable. Matter of fact, let me play you this recent interview that uh, he did on Fox News regarding um, Nancy Pelosi and this impeachment inquiry that she has initiated Congress. And it's about a three-minute clip. Um, I'm going to play the entire three minutes and then come back and give some commentary on it. So uh, this is Pastor Robert Jeffers or, uh, on Fox News. Take a listen. Nancy Pelosi pushing a solemn message this weekend amid her party's push to impeach the president. This is a very sad time for our country. This is no joy in this. It's sad. We must be somber, we must be prayerful, and we must pursue the facts further. 
to make a decision as to did this violate the Constitution of the United States, which I believe it did. Well, our next guest warns this could lead to irreparable division in America. Fox News contributor and host of Pathway to Victory on Fox Nation, Pastor Robert Jeffers, joins us now. Uh, Pastor, thanks for joining us on this Sunday. Nancy Pelosi says we need to be somber and prayerful as we impeach this president. I think it's hard to take Nancy Pelosi's call to prayer seriously. I mean, it reminds me of a pyromaniac with a match in hand about to set fire to a building saying, please pray with me that the damage I'm about to cause isn't too severe. I mean, if you're really sincere about that prayer, then put down the dang match. But Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats can't put down the impeachment match. Uh, they know they couldn't beat him in 2016 against Hillary Clinton. They're increasingly aware of the fact that they won't win against him in 2020, and impeachment is the only tool they have to get rid of Donald Trump, and the Democrats don't care if they burn down and destroy this nation in the process. Pastor, the evangelical vote in this country is obviously a voting block that all candidates pay serious attention to. What do you think the reaction is of evangelical voters around the country to this news of impending potential impeachment? Look, I don't pretend to speak for all evangelicals, but this week I have been traveling the country and I've literally spoken to thousands and thousands of evangelical Christians. I have never seen them more angry over any issue than this attempt to illegitimately remove this president from office, uh, overturn the 2016 election, and negate the votes of millions of evangelicals in the process. And they know that the only impeachable offense President Trump has committed was beating Hillary Clinton in 2016. That's the unpardonable sin for which the Democrats will never forgive him. And I do want to make this prediction this morning. If the Democrats are successful in removing the president from office, I'm afraid it will cause a civil war-like fracture in this nation from which this country will never heal. Pastor, what about the previous part of Nancy Pelosi's statement before she talked about being prayerful? Real quick, she said, we're not joyful. I mean, can we take that seriously when some members of her caucus, day one of the new Congress said, let's impeach the blankety blank. They seem pretty happy about it. Oh, they are thrilled. They, they cannot contain their glee over this. But I, you know, have been asked the question, what should we as Christians do? I think we ought to pray too, but we ought to do more than just pray. We ought to take action. And that means calling our representatives and urging them to stand with this president. Daniel 11:32 says, the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. It's time to take action. Pastor, thank you very much for your time on this. All right. So, <laughs> There's so much to unpack with that statement. First, uh, the the uh, host at Fox lead off by um, mis miscategorizing uh, Nancy Pelosi's statement by saying um, we must be somber and prayerful as we impeach the president. But you know, we we know she's not talking about impeaching the president. She's talking about the process, the inquiry. Impeachment inquiry process, you know, that's what she's referring to, and that that is a tedious process. It, it is, uh, it does, it should. They should be saying uh, those persons in Congress and those those committees who are going to be doing all the investigations should be somber and prayerful. It, it, it should be. Now, I 
personally, I don't care for the investigation. I, I think it'll be unfruitful. I think if, if you don't know by now, out of all the, the scandals that President Trump has been in prior to him being elected, it has not hurt him. It rolls off his back. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I thought I honestly thought that impeachment should have come when they found out about uh, the Stormy Daniels thing. Yeah. <laughs> that was when you should have called for impeachment. He used uh, allegedly used uh, campaign funds to pay off <laughs> this person. That was that was the moment for impeachment, or at least at the very least, a censure, an official censure from Congress. You, you know, now. When it comes to Pastor Jeffers and his remarks, um, and yes, he does not speak for all evangelical Christians, of which I am, and probably many of you are. He does not speak for them. And when he's speaking to you, talking about he's spoken, he's traveled and spoken to thousands. I am quite sure a majority of those thousands were not people of color. I am quite sure. They were not people, <laughs> minorities. I am quite sure they were not politically diverse. I am quite sure they were already uh, had been in, um, indoctrinated with the idea that God established Donald Trump in this office. I'm quite sure, just as many believe that God established Obama in an office, and many believe God established Bill Clinton, George Bush, and, and whomever. George W. Bush, God established them in that office, and they they provide the you know the scriptural support for that. So so I mean he could spare me with all of that. The idea of impeachment, just as it, uh, it happened twenty years ago with President Clinton, it, there was a moral clause, an unwritten moral clause. That Clinton was impeached about. People were not upset that he had an affair. I mean, that that they weren't upset about that. It, it didn't bother them, you know. Matter of fact, they were surprised that it even came up. You know, who? What powerful man has not had an affair? That's how they rationed it. Uh, what powerful man do you know, or woman for that matter, who has not used <laughs> their influence? Uh, <laughs> For sex in some capacity, <laughs> I might be implying myself in that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just I'm not implying myself in that at all. But the people with when when this was brought up, and the Republicans were on the other side and fishing for things to get Bill Clinton out of office, they had to settle on the fact that in a deposition, he lied about having relations. <laughs> With that woman, Miss Lewinsky, <laughs> and that has gone down in history. And yet, we have more than enough tangible evidence to suggest uh, obstruction of justice from um, on a number of occasions <laughs> with President Trump. Um, and as believers, as Christians, we should be calling first and foremost for the president, if he is a believer, and if he is a professed Christian, to repent, not to defend him. We don't have to go along with the idea of uh, impeachment 
But if we, especially if you are his spiritual advisor, the first and foremost thing you should be saying, uh, Pastor Jeffers, to the president of the United States, if he is found in sin, to repent. That's what Nathan did to David. David was in sin, was found in sin. Nathan went to David, told the parable of the shepherd, and and caused David to repent. That's the first thing you should be doing. You should not be calling Christians to defend and fight. Fight against what? We we have no moral ground. Because if you if Christians rise up in defense of ungodly behavior, you have no ground for argument. That that's just that's it. You lost the authority to do so. The moral authority. And we you know <laughs> And the idea of uh, yeah, again, and to counter that argument, and I know that was not the best argument that I could present. So please, please, um, if you're listening to this and you want to leave comments, please, you know, I know I didn't present a very, very solid argument. I wasn't attempting to do. I'm just rebutting some of you know the things that I heard, and and I wasn't referring. I have some notes <laughs> that I was trying to get to, and you know, I got a bit excited, and then I pull up the notes. So please, if Feel free to leave a comment, you know, when when this is posted, um, and and I, I'm glad to engage in dialogue with you. But anyway, the first thing we should be calling for him to is to repent. The secondly, second thing is a because he is a public figure who is uh, supposedly uh, both the leader morally, politically. And um, um, civically, I guess you can say, when, when it comes to foreign, because of that, uh, we should be calling him to better behavior. You know, he's petty. <laughs> he's very petty. And I, I know a lot of conservative uh, pundits will not denounce the behavior because they're looking at uh, – they're looking at what he has brought to the party. What he has infused in the party is, is this this new sense of of uh, a power, and it, it's I don't want to use it's it's a strange fire. Let me put it that way. It's a new sense of power that that's not just political, but it's all out. I mean, it's ungodly. The way that they are offending this person who just uh, six years ago, uh, what is 2019? Yeah, six years ago in 2012, they didn't even consider it as a candidate, worthy candidate, when he first announced it. Even back in the 90s, when, uh, what, yeah, 92, when he announced that he was going to run and nobody wanted him because they thought he was a joke. And in 2012, he bombed out in the primaries because they were, you know, he was a joke. And all of a sudden in 2000, people rallied behind him. And more qualified candidates like Newt Gingrich, who they were saying was not worthy of the office or the candidacy or anything because of his moral behavior. As uh, Speaker of the House and, you know, all of this, 
you know, you know the story of New Gingrich. You know what he went through, what he did that was immoral, and they could not stand the fact that this happened, and they did not embrace him. They and they embraced his ideas, his policy, and all that. But as a candidate, they did not embrace him because he did not represent them. But they represent this. They embraced this guy who was far worse. So I, I I hate the hypocrisy that is happening in in American Christianity. Um, Western Christianity, particularly white evangelical Christian, Christ, you know, um, I I hate it that it has been strong armed in some way to endorsing and endorsing the moral behavior of, uh, of you know, yeah, this these are some of the same churches that I so anti homosexual uh, that. Funerals. <laughs> but uh, we really got to do better. We really, really have to do better. And uh, as I stated before, I don't think impeachment is the proper means of getting this done. Matter of fact, I'm that uh, is actually going to actually help Donald Trump. Donald Trump has raised over $15 million since they announced this impeachment inquiry. Think about that for a moment. <laughs> These people are so staunch supporters of him that even in the midst of, of the hostility of impeachment going forward, he's still raising money. He's raised more money in one quarter than all of the Democrat uh, nominee, uh, Democrat not these these persons seek nomination have raised in one quarter. Uh, so as Christians, we have we just not a monolithic body. Christianity has never been a monolithic body. American Christianity has never been a body and never will be. One thing I I think is that at least we have to we we have to find common ground, and one of the common ground is the fact that we have moral absolutes. It doesn't know, you know there, you know there are some gray areas in our life and in our theology and our practices, but there are some absolute morals that we uh we have that we all should agree on and uh, should should follow our lives by including how we vote and who we support in office. Um, I tend to, I don't know if I have a little time. I, I got a few more minutes. I'm I'm gonna run over time, but I really want to get to this this because I uh, you know getting a headache talking about <laughs> that. <laughs> but anyway, this is this last little story I want to kind of segue into. Um, United Methodist Flows plan to split denomination after LGBT vote. Uh, this comes from the uh, Presbyterian Outlook, and again, you can find this article on the Old Black Church. Um, and this article basically says that uh, in the upcoming General Conference for the United Methodist Church in 2020, uh, that's going to be held next year, and I just said that in Minneapolis. 
the denomination, United Methodist Church denomination, will consider um, a structure, a restructuring of the denomination. Uh, uh, in other words, possible breakup of a worldwide church. Right now, it's the second largest uh, Protestant church in the Southern Baptist is the largest Protestant um, body uh, body in the United States, and then you have the Catholic Church as the largest body. Uh, that's right. There's a list of the top 25 denominations in the country, um, and um, I know that the National Baptist USA. When I'm, I'm speaking particularly of a predominantly black. Uh, denominations. You have the National Baptist USA. You have the Church of God in Christ. You have the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and you have um, the AME Zion. You have the um, what's the other one? Pentecostal Assemblies of the World. Those are uh, they make the list. You have also uh, National Baptist Progressive Progress National Progressive Baptist. Uh, or progressive Baptist, y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but uh, of these, that they are all in uh, the top 15. Uh, they and me in particular is number 11, and that not account for all the independent churches specifically. Church mainline denomination. <laughs> Pentecostal Assembly of the World is considered a mainline denomination. Never would have thought that 20, 30 years ago, but it is now. They're growing. You know, They have memberships of uh, nearly 2 million people, or over a million at least. Kojic has nearly 9 million, give or take, 8, eight, eight or 9 million. Um, so anyway, so there are a lot of black churches within the United Methodist uh, Communion. And uh, the AME Church and uh, all Methodist communions are – we're in full communion with each other. So this split is going to affect uh, not just the United Methodist Church but all Wesleyan churches, particularly those of us um, African uh, Methodist churches. We, we're going to be affected by this because we're in full communion, and how they grow and how they how they go affects how we go. And, of course, that will overflow into other Protestant denominations because again, I, I've never understood why this is a big issue in church. Um, again, if we see them from perspective of humans, um, flawed humans, that's that's one thing. I understand the the argument of whether those persons serving in ministry who are same sex attractors should be uh, celibate or non-practicing, you know, sexually, whatever it may be. I understand that argument, but we have to place the same thing on other single clergy. Uh, going to this, the, uh, the route of the Roman Catholic Church mandating all persons be uh, celibate because we see what <laughs> how that's turned out for them. But the, um, they want to they want to make the real, the relationship between those persons in the LBGTQIA, et cetera. They want to make sure that they're welcoming, and there are a lot of affirming churches within the UMC. 
there are a lot of affirming clergy who are not same sex attracted. And, you know, but as the church expands globally and, and particularly in, you know, South Africa, I mean, in Africa and the continent of Africa and the continent of South America and the Central America, where these countries, where these places are exploding, you know, what, uh, Christianity is exploding because one, there's a lot of oppression, there's a lot of poverty, there's a lot of things in these areas, and people, you know, that's how religion works. You know, <laughs> that's that is a core part of how religion works, how it expands. You know, when you have those factors, that 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 is part of it. But on the social part of it, not just um, here in the states, in particular, on the social part. We have made many strides um, in the secular world regarding this, and and I understand the separation of church and state, and as it should be, the separation of church and state. However, if we are going to be uh, loving Christians, we have to find a way to compromise. I don't know what that compromise is, honestly. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it should look like. Um. The Episcopal Church here in the states, when they began to elect female bishops, they found they had problems. And when they elected their first openly gay bishop, um, they had issues, and their membership has been declining ever since. Because there are still persons who, again, I go back to the argument of moral absolutes. They 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 will stand by those moral absolutes. And in some, uh, the idea of same-sex attraction is not a part of more absolute. So uh, this past February, a general conference, not the general conference, uh, but the general board, uh, proved uh, a conservative traditional plan, which centers and progressives in the church rejected. Um, they basically, basically said this is 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 not good, you know. Uh, we got to find more coming ground. We don't want to be tra- traditional. We don't want to stay the same. We have to change, and we're going to force your hand to do so. Um, and, and in turn, you know, churches have been <laughs> they good Methodists. They know you, you won't change. You hold your pocketbook. <laughs> That's what they're doing. So they're holding their pocketbooks. They weren't paying their assessments and. That has affected the connectional church, and the connectional church, in turn, is responding, uh, is reacting to that effect by saying, "Well, maybe what we previously considered not good enough, and maybe for the best, we must have a schism." This is not the first time that there's been a schism in the church. We can go back to the the great schism of in uh, 1000 between uh, what is now the um, Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church, you know, we and and I used I grew up Baptist and I heard well, Baptists multiply by dividing, <laughs> so it's nothing. I just hope and pray that the bishops within uh, the Methodist United Methodist Connection uh, can come to some kind of consensus and uh, find a way, find a way to. Um, Unified in the nomination, so they wouldn't have to. Uh, don't have to work. In the words of some, divorce. And, you know, I think about 
there's a book by C.S. Lewis you need to read. It's called The Great Divorce, and it's it's a very, very interesting read. Uh, matter of fact, just about anything about C.S. Lewis uh, outside the Chronicles of Narnia, you should read, um, especially the Screwtape Letters. It's, anyway, that's my plug for C.S. Lewis. Um, so here's what the what here's what they're planning. Uh, it's called the Indianapolis Plan. The Indianapolis Plan will split the United Church uh, into at least two denominations with different theological understandings of the LGBTQ ordination and marriage. And that's the centrist. Uh, that's the central theme. That's the whole point of the. That's the central theme of the rip. You know, should clergy who are LGBTQ or whatever else, part of the alphabet, uh, should they be ordained? Well, we've overcome that hurdle. We can ordain them. They can be on an ordained ministry. And the second is, well, should these clergy who are same-sex practicing uh, have the right to marry? Well, in the United States, uh, same-sex marriage is now legal, and it was not if you know it wasn't forced upon the church. So the church can still operate independent of the just uh, the uh, ruling by the Supreme Court. And again, as I said, what happens in the United States, the United Methodist Church will flow over the ripple effects. It's going to affect not just all the Methodist bodies like the AME Church and AME Zion, CME and all of that, not just those bodies, but oh, the Protestant Church. It's a great deal. <laughs> so <sighs> the good thing is, you know, they, they vote by region, so they'll come to something. But um, anyway, the article is found, um, this particular article I have is from the Presbyterian Outlook. Uh, so you can go to press-outlook.org um, for the Methodist plan, um, and you'll find the article. But anyway, let me get out of here. I've I've gone over and appreciate you for listening and thank you so much for tuning in. I I hope again that you enjoy the show. Um, support the show. Uh, go to the Facebook page Zero Network on Facebook and uh, you can listen to all the archive shows. The archive the shows are also available on Apple on Apple and the podcast um, on iTunes. You can go down there up there and um, support us. Also, if you like to support us financially with any gift. Choose. Uh, we go to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal and you can support us on that. We're so grateful for all that you do and we're grateful, grateful, grateful without Yeah, I'm running out of steam. <laughs> all right. Got that.